0: During 2016 we've been preaching on purpose. Working our way through the fivefold purpose of the church: worship, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. And currently we're in a series of lessons on discipleship. We are disciples. The Greek word didaskalos means a pupil, a student, a learner, one who sits at the feet of the master teacher, in our case Jesus learning from His instruction, becoming like Him in our attitudes, our words, and our actions. Now, I've chosen the title under construction for this series because I believe that's what best describes us as disciples. We are a work in progress. We are truly under construction in the process of becoming like Jesus in all that we think, say, and do. None of us have arrived at that yet. (laughs) None of us is a finished work as a disciple. We're still sitting at Jesus' feet. We're still learning. We're still discovering all that He wants us to be and to do. We are under construction. Two Sundays ago, we began this series by talking about how a disciple follows the Master. And last Sunday, we discussed how a disciple commits to membership. This morning, in our final lesson, we'll focus on how a disciple pursues maturity. Under construction, a disciple pursues maturity. Let's begin today's lesson by reading the Apostle Paul's words here in Ephesians chapter 4. Follow along in your Bible as I read Ephesians chapter 4. We pick it up with verse 11. It was he... the end of verse 13. Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You recognize this? Not the child. I mean, the thing that's next to the child. <laughs> you ever have one of those growing up? A growth chart? Uh, my parents stood me up next to the doorpost, you know, and they made a pencil mark on the frame of the door. Yeah, I can see some of you nodding, and you, you recognize that. And, and you would go okay, so I'm that tall now. And you would come back a couple, three months later, and they would do it again, and you would turn around excitedly and you look, whoa, I grow that much, you know. It would chart your progress, wouldn't it? Well, doctors do that actually from the very moment that a baby's born. You know, they take the length, the weight, all that, and every time you go take that baby in, the length and weight, everything gets recorded again, and you you chart that, don't you? You expect that a baby or a child is going to grow up. Well, the same thing is true of those who become disciples. We are meant to grow up. As Paul put it here in Ephesians 4, to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To put it bluntly, we ought to be able to chart our growth. As disciples, where we are today in our walk with Christ should be higher than where we were a year ago, or a month ago, or even a week ago. Under construction, a disciple pursues maturity. As we think about our growth as Christ followers today, let's take note of three things about our spiritual maturity. Beginning with the objective. In our maturity, the objective. What do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) It's fascinating to listen to the various answers that children will give to that question. I want to be an
1: astronaut when I grow up. I want to be an artist and a doctor once I grow up. I want to be a balvino, a pilot. I want to be a basketball player. i got to be a Bruce man. The police have to get to be a guy. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. Up. I want to be a singer because I love to sing, and I've been singing since I was like three. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. I want to be uh, a marine biologist. I want to be a hockey player when I grow up. Yes, I want to be a video game designer. I love hockey video games, too. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player or an ice cream man. Cool, huh? I keep telling my mom when I grow up I want to be a dog. <laughs> I play baseball my, and my game's off. I get to be an ice cream man at the baseball game so I can also be watching baseball. My favorite thing about hockey is when you get checked in the boards. I want to be when I grow up as a singer. Well, I'm going to be in a hip hop show. When you grow up, I'm going to be a drawer. I want to be a sports coach when I grow up. It does not matter which sport. I also want to be a bee, and I'm gonna be purple, and I'm gonna go outside and go and and go on the swing, and I'm gonna say to all my friends, to have a job, it's like to make money and help all your family and stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now let me ask you that very same question only in a spiritual sense. What do you want to be when you grow up spiritually? Maybe the better question is what should you be when you grow up spiritually? In other words, what's the goal? What's our objective of our spiritual growth? What are we aiming for anyway? Well, look again at what Paul wrote In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, we ought to be attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Verse 15, we will in all things grow up into Him that is Christ. Or again, as the New Living Translation puts the same phrase, becoming more and more in every way like Christ. Christ I mean simply put the objective of our spiritual growth is Christlikeness Christ likeness. to be and do what Christ would be and do to think speak and act just like Jesus would think, speak and act over and over again the New Testament tells us that this is the standard. This is the growth chart if you will, against which we measure ourselves. It's the measuring rod against which we value and evaluate our maturity. Romans 8, verse 29, God marked them out, the them as us, to become like the pattern of His Son. Galatians 4, verse 19, until Christ's nature is formed in you. Colossians 1, verse 28, that we may present every person complete, finished in Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, that you should follow in His steps. 1 John 2, verse 6. Let's read this one out loud together. Read it with me, would you? Anyone who says he or she is a Christian should live just as Christ lived. Yeah. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is when Peter and John are arrested for preaching Christ and they have to stand trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Council. And when the Sanhedrin saw the boldness and the courage of Peter and John, Acts 4 and verse 13 says, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Don't miss that. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Folks, when people look at our lives, they should take note of the very same thing. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? The very best answer, I think, is when I grow up, I want to be like Christ. Christ-likeness. That's the objective in our maturity, which then leads us to talk about the obstacles. To our maturity. There are many obstacles to our spiritual growth, many hindrances to becoming Christ like, many things that impede or retard our maturity as disciples. Let me just identify a few of them and see if you can relate to any of these in your own life. Number one obstacle is complacency. I mean, frankly, many Christ followers are pretty apathetic and indifferent. About pursuing spiritual maturity. They either don't know or they don't care that they should be grown in their faith. Hebrews talks about this. Let's read these verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? All of you are slow to understand. Once again, you need to be taught the simplest things about what God has said. You need milk instead of solid food. People who live on milk are like babies. Solid food is for mature people. We must try to become mature. If you saw... One of your adult friends walking around sucking on a baby bottle. You would think that to be strange, would you not? Well, the same thing's true of us as Christians. We can't be on milk forever, folks. We've got to grow up. And we gotta to try to become. We've got to strive. That's the word there. Strive to become mature. Can't be complacent about that. The second obstacle is sin. Now, we all sin. I'm not talking here just about sin. I'm talking about unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin is always a barrier to our spiritual growth. It hinders our relationship with God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 puts it this way, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor His ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Don't miss that. Your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. And Isaiah concludes, Your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Our unconfessed sin, The third obstacle, I think, to our maturity is busyness. (laughs) Most of us can relate to this one, huh? We're simply too busy to invest enough time and effort into growing spiritually. Our priorities are skewed and the crowded schedules just choke out our relationship with God. Jesus warned about this in the parable of the sower, Luke 8 and verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. They don't grow up. Busyness. The well, fourth obstacle is laziness. <laughs> Let's just get it out on the table. I mean, be honest. Some of us just lack the discipline that's necessary to pursue spiritual maturity. Solomon warned us about that in in Proverbs 6. He says, how long is the lazy man going to lie around? When is he ever going to get up? I'll just take a short nap, he says. I'll fold my hands and rest a while. But while he sleeps, poverty will attack him like an armed robber. And by the way, the poverty that's talked about right there is not just material poverty. It is also spiritual poverty. Laziness. The fifth obstacle, I think, is worldliness. 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 The world competes for our attention. Worldly things can easily become more important to us than spiritual things. Financial growth and security comes before our spiritual growth and security. The maturity in our retirement years takes precedent over the maturity of our Christian walk. How was the problem with the rich man? Matthew chapter 19. Jesus told him in verses 21 and 22, If you would be perfect, That is, have spiritual maturity. Go and sell what you have and come, be my disciple. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had great worldly possessions. You're in a constant battle. Every day we are. The world is vying for our attention, our time, our energy. The sixth obstacle, I think, is just simply excuses. Sometimes we'll make any old excuse to rationalize our lack of spiritual progress. Jesus told a parable about this very thing in Luke chapter 14, verses 17 through 24. People had all kinds of ridiculous excuses for not accepting the king's invitation to the banquet. I thought about that this week and I thought, so what's my excuse? And I ask you, what's your excuse for not accepting Jesus' invitation to dine with Him? You ever think about that? Every day Jesus wants your fellowship. Every day Jesus wants you to spend time with Him. To know Him better. To let Him love you and for you to love Him in return. Just to be there with Him. It's an invitation. It's kind of like an appointment. Let's say you had an appointment tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Jesus. Would you stand Him up? And yet we do that every day. The seventh obstacle, I think, is religion. Hmm. Religion. Now, as odd as that may sound, sometimes it's our religion that gets in the way of our relationship with Jesus Christ. As believers, we can go through all of the motions. You know what I mean. You know, the going to church and doing this and the doing that and the saying this and the saying that. You know, all the rituals and regulations and, and rites and rules... We can do all that stuff and never ever grow up in Christ. Let's read Hebrews 7 verses 18 and 19 out loud together. Read this with me. The former way of doing things, a system of commandments that never worked out, was set aside. The law brought nothing to maturity. Another way, Jesus, a way that does work, that brings us right into the presence of God, is put in its place. Yeah. Yeah. The law could never bring maturity, the writer of Hebrews says. It's not religion that makes us mature. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about spending time with Him, getting to know Him better, letting Him love on us and us loving on Him. It's not about going through all these rules and regulations and rituals. It's about the relationship we have with Jesus. The eighth obstacle to our maturity, I think, is bitterness bitterness. Some Christ followers are frankly stuck spiritually. And they can't grow because they're nursing a spirit of bitterness or anger towards someone else. Or they're harboring resentment toward God for something that has happened in their lives. You see, trials and tests will either make us better or bitter. And the choice is ours. How we respond to them. Our 9 a.m. Sunday Bible class is currently studying through the book of James. James 1 verses 2 through 4 puts it this way, When all kinds of trials crowd into your lives, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until you have become men and women of mature character. Any unforgiving spirit in your heart? Any bitterness, any anger, any resentment? That'll keep you from growing. The ninth obstacle is our tongue. <laughs> to put it bluntly, our mouths get us into trouble, spiritually speaking. James 3 and verse 2 says, If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect, with the word mature, finished, complete man. And the opposite, of course, of that is true. If we are at fault in what we say, if our tongues are out of control, we will not be perfect. We will not be mature. It will hinder our growth. And then number ten is discouragement. I find a lot of discouragement among Christians today. Spiritual maturity, you see, is a lifelong process. Hear me on this. It is not a sprint, it is a marathon. Day after day after day after day consistently growing in our Christian faith. And sometimes it's so very easy to get discouraged when our progress seems slow. Do you ever have that happen when you were a kid and you you backed up to the growth chart or up to the the side of the door and you're all excited because mom and dad are going to measure you again and and they make a mark and you turn around and you go, huh. Because it's... Right where it was before. I didn't grow any. I so wanted to be six foot eight. (laughs) A lot of Christians that are discouraged because growth sometimes is slow. And sometimes we go through seasons in our lives where it seems like we're not growing, even though we're practicing the disciplines we need to be practicing. If you're discouraged in your spiritual life this morning, Galatians 6 and verse 9 is for you. Let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Yeah, don't get discouraged. So those are ten things that impede or retard our maturity as Christians. There are probably many, many more, but let's move on to our final thought today, and that is the obtaining of our maturity. How do we obtain maturity? If you were to look in the two-volume publication, Books in Print, you would discover over 3,500 how-to titles and that doesn't include all the how-to books with other titles such as you can or you know the art of you understand what I'm saying now among the how-to titles are 29 books how to succeed at you fill in the blank there are 65 books how to win at you fill in the blank 87 books, how to live like 140 books, how to get whatever it is you want 172 books, how to be I think some of the more interesting titles I looked at this this last week, how to be a pregnant father <laughs> One guy wrote a book, How to Become King. (laughs) Uh, This one caught my eye, How to Be Sexy with Bugs in Your Teeth. (laughs) That's a bestseller, I'm sure. And believe it or not, there actually is a book out there entitled, How to Write How-To Books. (laughs) Now, with all how-to books in print, you would think it would be pretty easy for us just to breeze through almost anything in life. But it's not so. Why? Well, for one thing, there is a considerable gap, folks, between our knowing and our doing. I heard a story about a farmer out farming in his field and A magazine peddler comes up to him, tries to sell him a magazine about farming. farmer says, no, son, not me, not for me. magazine peddler comes back the next day, does the same thing and the next day, and does the same thing and the next day, and is pleading with this farmer, if you would just subscribe to my magazine, you could know 50% more about how to farm. And the farmer took off his hat and scratched his head and said, Son, I already know 100% more about how to farm. Think about that for a minute. That's really true of our lives. We know so much more than we do. Frankly, most of us know that we need to be growing spiritually. We've heard scriptures like 1 Peter 2 two, Grow up in your salvation. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. Your faith is growing more and more. But like the farmer, our problem is not in the knowing. Our problem is in the doing. Well, at the risk of sounding like another how-to book, I want to leave you with something practical that you can do today in order to help you mature as a disciple. Now, I could talk to you about the importance of being in worship each and every Sunday morning or about being involved in a small group Bible study each and every week or about reading Christian books and listening to Christian music and attending Christian conferences and retreats. All of those things, by the way, which will help you to grow spiritually. However, for today's lesson, I want to focus our remaining time on the one thing one thing that I think is absolutely indispensable for our maturity, and that is a daily quiet time. A daily quiet time. I call it what you will, daily devotions, time alone with God, whatever you call it. I believe that nothing is more important to our spiritual development than the time we spend each and every day of our lives one-on-one, face-to-face with the Lord. Chip Ingram recently asked Francis Chan about this very thing. And here's what Chan had to say.
1: What, what do you do personally to just uh, draw near to God and grow in your own yeah. both gifts and walk with God? There's, there's never been a replacement for my time alone with God and in the Word. Yeah. Um, like There's other things that have helped me, but that's always been the thing that, I, I don't know if centered is the, the word for mm-hmm. it. Um, because, sure, I grow by listening. I'm a listener. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think to a fault where I... Maybe I'm too impressionable. Like, you know, I I tend to be spontaneous, like, oh, I'm going to do it like that guy or that that guy. Because I just absorb and go, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. And if I don't get alone with the Lord and back in the Word when no one else is around, I will just kind of follow a pattern set. Because it's easier. Sure. And it's like well, I learned that from Keller, and so yeah. if I mess up, it's Keller's fault. You know, or, uh, you know, I just copied what Piper said, and right. so if he's off, right. you know, he's yeah. going to be judged. You know, uh, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like, and I think people like that; they like yeah. to gravitate to a personality, and and because then it takes all the responsibility off of them. It's like, well, so and so said, this person said, and and um, for me, it's fighting for that time alone with. That time alone with God,
0: fighting for it. It's not going to happen by accident, folks. <laughs> you aren't going to take the time to make this happen. You are going to make the time for this to happen. So let me just spend a few minutes sharing how to have a daily Quiet time. I believe there are five keys to an effective time alone with God each and every day. I want to just mention the first four very briefly and then I'm going to expand a little bit on the last one. But let me give them to you. Key number one, you need to select the right time. Select the right time. The time that works for you. Not the time that somebody told you must work for you. But the time that works for you, for your body clock. Some of you are morning people. You get up bright and early, and that's the best time of the day for you. Some of you are nighttime people, and you're up long after I've gone to bed, <laughs> and you, that works for you. When I was working for Lowe's out in the corporate field, doing sales, business to business, I found that lunchtime worked the best for me, because I was in my car, traveling hundreds of miles, I would stop and grab something to eat and I would eat it in my car. I would go find a shady spot and I would oftentimes a park or something like that. And I would spend my lunch hour, my time alone with God every day at lunch. But the point is, you've got to find the time that's right for you. And whatever works for you. The second key, I think, is you've got to find the right place. The right place. A place, by the way, that is quiet. A place that is without distractions. I told you I used my car when I was working at Lowe's. I, I had a lady in our one of our churches that we ministered in. She started a movement in our church among the ladies. Her quiet time place was her bathroom. She had young children. And the only way she could find any space to be uninterrupted was her bathroom. She got a do not disturb sign, hung it on her bathroom doorknob. Her husband knew it's my time to take care of the kids and when mommy's in the bathroom, don't knock on the door. That's your quiet time. Uh, whatever your quiet time is, where, wherever that place is, that's right for you. Key number three, you need to utilize the right resources. I mean, having a Bible, obviously. I usually open my laptop, quite honestly, or my uh, iPhone. And I have access to BibleGateway.com, some other programs that allow me to see a variety of different translations so that I can compare them side by side as I'm doing my Bible study. Having a notebook, a journal, a pen, a pencil. By the way, speaking of resources, we have more resources available to us today than has ever been been available in Christianity. There's really no excuse for not having the right resource. There's something out there that fits you. And then key number four, you need to adopt the right attitude. If you go at this like, pastor said i could got to have a quiet time. You know, when you go at it begrudgingly, it's not going to work. Think of it this way instead. I get to spend some time One-on-one, face-to-face, with Jesus. Oh, wow! (laughs) I can't wait! You go into that with a sense of expectation, with a sense of anticipation. I get to spend some time with Jesus today. I get to listen to Him. He gets to listen to me. We get to to just get to love each other even more. If you go in with that kind of an attitude, it will make a huge difference. Key number five is you need to follow the right plan. Follow the right plan. I'm going to be very candid here. I think that this is where most disciples fail in establishing and maintaining a daily quiet time. To fail to plan is to plan to fail. And there are all kinds of plans available through the Bible plans, topical plans, devotional guides, elaborate journals. I I put some plans, by the way, back on the lobby table. If you're interested, you can pick one up on your way out. There's one called Seven Minutes with God. I almost didn't put that one there because I thought, that's just almost a disgrace. Seven minutes. But you know what? I'd rather you spend seven minutes with God every day than an hour tomorrow morning because Pastor Mark made you feel guilty today. (laughs) And then never spend another moment with him the rest of next month. You with me? The consistency, the regularity of it. How to have a quiet time. There's the daily bread. Some of you picked that up. If that works for you, hey, that's a good resource. It's a good plan. The point is though, you need to find the plan that works for you. Go on to CBD, Christian Book Distributors Online, and look at all the plans that are available. So many. You'll find one that works for you if you look for them. But in that light, I want you to share with me my own personal plan. And so there are 10 steps I follow each and every morning in my daily quiet time. I put an insert in your notes today, if you want to take it out. I'm going to look at that with you right now, called the DQT, daily quiet time plan. This is my journal. This is actually a page right out of my journal. Okay? And this has been developed over years. It's changed. It probably will change again. But let me tell you where I'm at right now. Okay? I begin with the preparation time, usually a prayer, or I read a psalm or a proverb. By the way, I do that out loud. That's why I tell you, find a place that's quiet and no distractions. I I find it's better to pray out loud, to read the Bible out loud, because I get easily distracted. Plus, you can put emotion and tone into your prayers and your Bible reading when you read out loud, when you talk out loud. Okay? There's another reason for that. The enemy can't read your mind. And in spiritual warfare, you have to speak it or Satan won't hear it. Do you ever think about that? He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. And then I, sometimes I just worship. I just prepare my heart. That's the time of preparation. Okay? And then there's a waiting time. That's where I just be still and I be quiet before the Lord. I just let God love me. I just love Him. I just enjoy being in His presence. It's a quiet time. I force myself to do that every day because I am not a quiet and still person. If you know me, my wife's cracking up. (laughs) I don't sit still very well. And so I make myself do that because I know I need to catch my breath. And then there's a confession time. This is where I name my personal sins before God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't pray here, God, forgive me my sins. That's not what I pray. I, I I write them down. That's what that space is there for. I actually name them one by one. Yesterday, God, I realized I lied to somebody. And I confess that to you right now. Write it out. Then I get into the Bible. Notice it says today's passage. I always write where I I usually take it in chunks. I work myself through a book. And um, I usually don't even take a whole chapter, I usually just take sections. Because I don't want a lot. I just want to digest what I can. And so I take some notes on that. I journal some notes, some things that I learned, insights. Which then leads me into my time of meditation, you see at the bottom of the first page there. And as corny as it may sound, I use the acrostic Space Pets. (laughs) So I look at the verses that I've just read and, and the S P A C E P E T S. Is there a sin to confess out of this passage I just read? Or a promise to claim? Or an attitude that I need to change? A command I need to obey? An example I need to follow? A prayer maybe that I need to pray or an error to avoid or a truth that I just need to believe it and I need to claim it or something to praise. That's how I spend my time in meditation, on the back side of the thing. Then I move into intercession. I pray for the needs of others and I list those needs out by name and by need. Then I spend some time at petition praying for my own personal needs. And then for personal application, at the very end, I'm kind of wrapping it up now, I ask myself the question, what's the one thing that I need to apply to my life today? Out of everything that I've listened to God and I've prayed about and I've studied in His Word, what's the one thing I'm going to take with me today that I'm going to apply to my life? And then I have a faith time. I always end with these two things. Faith time first, believing in God for positive results. It says that if we ask for anything in His name, He'll give it to us. Do we believe that? And so I spend some time claiming it by faith. And then some praise time. I end up praising God for who He is, His attributes, always name several of His attributes, and then thanking Him for what He's doing in my life. That's my own personal time. Okay, That's what works for me. But my point in all of this is not that you would follow my plan. My point in all of this is that whatever plan you choose, there is nothing more important to the obtaining of our maturity than our daily quiet time. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Under construction. This morning we've taken a closer look at how a disciple pursues maturity. We've learned that our objective in our maturity is Christ-likeness. We've identified 10 of the more common obstacles to our maturity. And we've discovered that the most important ingredient in obtaining our maturity is our daily quiet time. Our time alone with God in His Word and in prayer each and every day. So let's come back to this, shall we? How are you measuring up today? You growing? If you're not, there's something seriously wrong that needs to be addressed in your life. You should be able to chart your spiritual growth and maturity. And if you've never given a daily quiet time a try, or if you tried and you failed in the past and got discouraged, start again. Start again. It takes 21 days of consistency to make it become a life habit. If you can get through three weeks, it'll become a part of who you are. And that will pay huge benefits. Let's close by going back to our text one more time, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 through 15 out loud together from the New Living Translation. Let's read this together. We will be mature and full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be little children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ. That's what we need to do.